Let's turn to the book of Psalms. The 66th Psalm is where we will begin. Psalm number 66. Psalm 66 and verse number 16. Psalm 66, verse 16. It says this. We'll read verses 16 and 17. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we uh, first of all thank you for our country. Lord, we thank you that we are citizens of this country. But uh, Lord, our true identity is not in any land down here in this world. But Lord, nevertheless, we thank you for the temporal blessings you've give, given to us by means of, of our country. Lord, thank you as well for our church. Thank you for each person that's here, each person that can't be here but is still listening. Lord, thank you for what you're doing among us. And Lord, we pray that you would continue and you would do more, you would do greater through us individually and corporately. We do pray for the VBS uh, coming up in July, Lord, we need your help. I pray that you would bless that work and ministry uh, to the kids. And I pray that you would fill each person who's involved with wisdom and understanding and strength and uh, desire. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless this time together as we look at your word, as we uh, testify to what you have done. Lord, I pray that you would make it profitable and uh, a, a means of, of grace minister to your people. So bless our time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It says this, Come and hear all ye that fear God. You know, I count each person in here as a person that fears God. And that's a, it's a, you know, there are many ways to refer to the people of God. There, this morning we, learned, we heard about the sheep. And then sometimes we hear about priests and kings and other times we hear about, you know, the Bible just says God's people. And sometimes we, uh, we talk about God's children. But one of the ways is those that fear God. And of course, fearing God is not just about being afraid that God's going to hurt you. You know, none of us should be afraid that God's going to hurt us. Uh, but we do have a fear that is that we know that, you know, God can and it keeps us humble, and it keeps us on the right path. Not out of fear, out of love, but just like with our parents. We fear our parents, not in dread, but because they are our parents. And so I trust that all of you fear God. And what I'd like to do is in verse number, the second half of verse 16, and I will declare what He hath done for my soul. You know, I feel like it's important that, you know, after this transition and, uh, you know, new pastor, some of you have known me for many years. 
Some of you have only known me since we returned from Cambodia in 2020. Uh, many of you, in fact. And um, so I, I think it's important, just as a, as a matter of course, that a church is aware of the spiritual history of their spiritual leaders. And you know what? That has a rich history in our church as well. You know, Brother Stewart, this, this morning he gave testimony to, uh, on May, I'm going to say it right, 17th, 19th. See, I'm going to get it right, 1987. See, that's where I got it wrong. Got my numbers mixed up. May 19th, 1987, and Terrence Dennefield knocked on his door in Aschaffenburg, Germany. And that's something, that's something you guys know about him and his spiritual history, right? Pastor Craig, can anybody remember the day that Pastor Craig was saved? Yeah, I can remember him saying many, many times. For those of you that did know him, he used to say that it was on the March 22nd, 1964, at 2 a.m. in the morning on a knotty pine floor in a Baptist preacher's study. Larry Childs in North Augusta, South Carolina. How many of you have heard that before? Just a few, just a few of you remember, remember that. Pastor Craig had, a, had a, 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 a testimony, and he gave testimony about how the Lord had worked in his heart and the kind of family he came from. And, and uh, he, he talked about that fairly often, as I remember. And so, but I, I think it's, you know, that was a part of my, my spiritual upbringing as well, hearing that, you know, hearing him talk about that. And then uh, uh, Brother Stewart and how he would talk about what the Lord had done in his life. And, and it's important for us to know the spiritual history of our, our spiritual leaders. Paul talked about his spiritual history. And, you know, I'm interested in your spiritual history too. And ho I hope in days to come, uh, that I will be able to learn about what the Lord, as this says, hath done for your souls as well. I, and I mean that. I really do want to know. And I will, I'm going to make efforts to find out. So you just better get ready. You better get that testimony ready. So what I'd like to do is, is I guess it's a little unusual, but I, I just want to give my salvation testimony to you. And um, But I, I do want to say some things that just out front that, you know, to be honest, I, I'm reluctant to do it just because I, I don't like I, I don't like talking about myself like that. I just that's not something I that comes natural to me. Of course, everybody likes talking about themselves some, <laughs> but uh, but as far as a natural personality, so I'm I'm a little bit reluctant in that way. But I don't want you to get the impression that that you know it's about me or that especially that. Anything that I would say or any experience that I, that I have specifically is in some way a, a standard by which you are to judge yourself because you're not. The Word of God is the standard, the Word of God. And see, the Lord works in each one of us in a different way and applies the truth of His Word to us and our individual lives in different ways according to our circumstances. Now, those things in His words stay the same, but the way they're applied to us as individuals is going to change. Now, the, the truths don't change. The idea of Christ and repentance and conviction and faith and those kinds of things, those are always the same 100% of the time. But I just don't want you to get the impression that somehow I'm setting the standard for what it, it means to truly be saved. No, the Word of God does that. And I trust you all know that. I trust you all know that. 
But I do, I would like to declare what God hath done for my soul as an individual. And you guys have stories about what God has done for your soul. So to start, I just want to, as I was thinking about this, I, I remembered, you know, whenever we had the transition back in the beginning, beginning of May, I talked about how that, uh, or maybe even before that, whenever there was a Q&A, I remembered, you know, that how much of an influence Choice Hills Baptist Church has had in my life and how this is a kind of going full circle, uh, that I was saved while I was going to Choice Hills and, and then not saved by Choice Hills. There's a, there's a difference. Saved while going to Choice Hills and then, uh, and then sent as a missionary to Choice Hills. Now, now as the pastor of Choice Hills. And that's just an interesting, you know, circular thing. But but then I got to thinking today of how fur, much further it goes back than that. You know, I'm a, and you'll see what I mean. You'll see what I mean in a minute. But I'm a, I'm a Greenvillian. A lot of people think that <laughs> I talk to people and they think that I'm. I went to Bob Jones. You know, you're from Greenville. Oh, you must have went to Bob Jones. And I sometimes tell people, no, I'm one of the heathen. <laughs> in other words, I was one of the people that lived in Greenville, and I honestly didn't know hardly anything about Bob Jones and. You know, I mean, as far as I was concerned, Bob Jones didn't exist. <laughs> um, I hope that doesn't offend anybody. Uh, but there are people that don't know, that live in Greenville, that don't know Bob Jones is there. But anyhow, the, the, I, was a, I was a native Greenvillian. My family goes back generations in Greenville. And, uh, and so this place is very, is close to me. This place is close to me. And, you know, as a church, you know, our church is here, our local church. And this is our job to reach this place, this locality. It's our job. God has put us here for that reason. Um, and, you know, as I came up, my, my grandmother, on my, my great-grandmother on my, on my mom's side, she was, uh, she was a part of the Church of God. And she was a very, as far as I know, of course, she died when I was very, well, I was just a few months old. Uh, she was a very devout lady. Everybody that says anything about her says that. But uh, after that, it, there was a total failure, total, totally dropping the ball. And my family became the family that was, um, that we were, you know, we were just worldly. We were just worldly. Uh, drinking, immorality, that, I mean, that, that characterized my family. And my mom and dad got married. My dad was Catholic, and my mom was, she wasn't really anything, but if you asked her, she would say she goes to the Church of God. And, uh, but my dad was Catholic, and so for, for my upbringing, I, I considered myself to be Catholic because, you know, in Greenville, I went to Westcliff Elementary, and, in, and in, in that school, it was, you know, there weren't very many kids that said they were Catholic, so it was like a mark of distinction, and you know what? I went through First Communion and, and all that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, and I, I, people asked me, I said I was Catholic. But once my mom and my dad split up, because they split up when I was really young, um, uh, I stayed with my mom, and, and, but my dad also lived in Greenville. But he had a friend. Uh, you got, so there might be, maybe Miss Judy, maybe, I don't think Miss McLean would know them. I was trying to look and see. It might be just Judy. Uh, there was a family that came to Choice Hills Baptist Church that were friends with my dad. It was uh, Jan and Irving Galloway. And uh, I think they were kind of nominal. They, I don't think they were 
super plugged in, but they had a son. His name was Jonathan. And uh, I would sometimes stay the night at Jonathan's house on Saturday night. And of course, they went to church on Sunday morning. So I would come to church to Choice Hills Baptist Church on Sunday morning with him. And I was just, you know, a random kid in the neighborhood. And we would go down to the children's church. At that time, it was in the fellowship hall. And uh, that's where the children's church, I mean, there was 20, 30 kids, I guess. I'm just, just, you know, trying to remember. And one Sunday, uh, they made a, uh, they had children's church. And I guess, you know, as I recall, there was an invitation made. And I raised my hand. And there was a guy who was the children's church, I guess, a worker, leader. I don't remember who he was, but I just remember he pulled on his collar like this a lot. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing you remember. He pulled on his collar a lot like this. And, um, and I just, I remember that. Maybe he wore his, his, uh, his, his uh, collar too tight or something. But anyway, so anyway, I raised my hand. And he took me out to the, uh, to the uh, first Sunday school room where Pam's Sunday school room is now. And he sat me down and he went through the book of Romans, the Romans road, and he read some verses and, and I repeated the prayer. Of course, I didn't know anything about that. I was about eight years old. I didn't fully understand the gospel. Um, there, was, there was nothing there as far as that goes. Um, but, it, but it does remind us. It does remind us because that played a big part in, in later in my life um, that we need to be careful. We need to be careful how... We are teaching our own children and our grandchildren and how we're teaching these kids at VBS and these kids in Sunday school, how we're going about explaining the gospel. Remember, the point of the gospel is not to lead someone through the motions of salvation. The point of uh, of dealing with kids is to bring them to an understanding of their need for Christ. And a kid, of course, can receive Christ. You know, Timothy, from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures. You know, a, a child can receive the gospel and can be saved. And many of you are examples of that. Missionary kids now are examples of that, right? So it is totally possible. But we must be careful not to just walk kids through a, 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 the motions of you know, make sure we go through the verses and we say the right things and, and that we lead them through the right prayer and they repeat after us. That is, we, need to, we must be very careful because that can affect them for the rest of their life. It can set up a structure that will then later have to be torn down for them to be saved truly. So we just need to be careful. And uh, just like Jesus said, and this is a good, a good example, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not from such is the kingdom of heaven, Right? When those kids come and they come and they say, well, I'm not sure if I'm saved and I, I want to be saved. And we, we say, oh, we explain the gospel. We go through it again. And, and maybe they even say, I want to be saved. and I want to ask the Lord to save me. And I want to believe. And we do that. And then a few weeks later, a few months later, they come and say the same thing. You know what the Lord says to do? Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. Eventually they will get it settled. But it's not our job. You, we don't know their hearts. It's not our job to discern all that. It's our job to let them come. Explain it again. Let them come. Explain it again. The Lord will settle it one day. The Lord will settle it one day. I was an example of someone who, for good or for bad, maybe had good intentions. I had no idea. But who led me through a prayer. And, uh, and so I made a profession of faith when I, was, when I was about eight years old in your Sunday school room. Thanks a lot, sister. 
Um, but I remember growing up, I would see different things in Greenville. You know, we would go to, uh, our family went to fall for Greenville, not as witnesses, but as the worldlings that would go taste all the beer and all that kind of stuff. I, rem- I remember seeing people stand in the middle of Main Street passing out gospel tracts when I was a kid. And we would walk, and, and, and I would walk down the middle of Main Street, and I would see them hand out. They would offer me a gospel tract, and, or I would walk at a distance, and I would see them handing out gospel tracts, and I just thought it was the strangest thing. I just thought it was the strangest thing. Other times, our family would go down to Lake Kiwi, down, uh, what was that road, two, uh, 183, down uh, to Pickens, through Pickens, down to Lake Kiwi. How many of you know on, on 183, there's a sign as you go toward Pickens on the left-hand side, and it says, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this is judgment. And the other side says, you must be born again. And I passed that dozens and dozens of times throughout my life and saw that sign. Never knew what it meant. Honestly, never knew what it meant. Never knew what it meant. To be born again, I, always, I, I never knew what it meant. But those are the things I remember that maybe had an influence on me. Maybe they didn't. I, I don't really know. I don't really know. But what happened is my aunt, around about the time, well, when I became a teenager, I started, you know, I started to, you know, go to different churches in Greenville because Greenville had Baptist churches everywhere. So I started to go to, uh, to mainly to Southern Baptist churches and, you know, going to the youth group. And that's where I heard some crazy stuff, crazy doctrinal error and stuff like that. And, but I would go to those churches mainly to be around my friends and play basketball and those kinds of things. And, and that, there was a process of time, and, and through a period of time, uh, after I was going to the churches, I became more friendly. You know, I, I didn't really, you know, I, I would say I was Catholic, but then, you know, I would also go to other churches. And then my aunt, Stacy, some of you know Stacy or knew Stacy. She's the one who, who uh, died from COVID a few years ago. Uh, she got married in 1998, I believe it was. And because she was getting married, she needed a church where she could be married in. So we all started going to church. She was going to church with her fiancé. And so my family always went to church together. Some of you remember my family. Either we were all here or none of us were here. And that's the way it was. They, they didn't want to go and be the lone, the lone person at church. So we would go to different churches. And eventually, we came to Choice Hills. I have no idea why. Uh, but we came to Choice Hills, our whole family, around 1998. And at Choice Hills, I was, I was about 16, and I started getting involved with the, uh, the youth group because I was right at that age with the youth group. Some of you remember David Craig. He was in my same grade. And uh, so I got involved in the youth group, and, uh, you know, as I got more and more involved... I started to go to uh, I started to go to visitation on Saturdays. I started to, I even had opportunity to preach on the radio. Pastor Craig allowed me to preach on the radio on Saturday for ten minutes. And but I remember one time in the youth group, Bob Landis. Have you, you remember Bob Landis, Sister Sister Judy? Bob Landis had us write down our salvation testimony. Write it down one I guess one Wednesday night at youth at our, the youth meeting, and I wrote it down. You know what I wrote? I wrote about that experience when I was eight. That's what I wrote about. See, here's the problem. Pastor Craig preached the gospel, right? He preached the truth. But I assumed 
that what the preacher said was true of me. Right? I just assumed it because of that profession when I was eight. Even though I performed no actual examination of my heart or life, I just assumed and just said, oh, I already did that. I assumed this despite the fact that since from the time that I made the profession to that time when I was 16 or 17, I assumed that I was good even though my life was, there was no change in my life, no fruit of salvation or fruit of repentance in my life from the time that I was young, seven or eight, eight years old, until, until I was a teenager. None at all. No evidence that I was a child of God. None. But because I wasn't examining it, I didn't see it. See, the problem is I was afflicted with the same affliction that afflicts a lot of people in Greenville. Professing to know God and not being able to see a huge and glaring inconsistency between their life and their profession. That, in a word, describes Greenville. That's it. They live like the devil and they say they know God. That describes Greenville. Remember that when we go and witness to people. That's what we're dealing with. You know, some of those people, some of those people need somebody to just be bold enough, and I've done this a few times, to be bold enough to say, look, you're not saved. <laughs> no, I love God. You ain't saved. Some of those people just need us to say it. My mama's one of those people. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. So as I said, I got very, I got involved in the youth group and I went on mission, you know, mission trips, kind of like uh, Lynn, Lynn, uh, Lynn and Lisa Sargent. They go on these, these trips, except for us, it was, it was mainly youth that went with Bob Landis back in the early days of MTT. And they would, we would do like little drama performances and stuff like that. And I was involved in those, I remember, as a, youth, as a, as a young person. But this verse always bothered me. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That verse bothered me, that last verse especially. It troubled me. You know, when the Bible troubles you, you know, and the Bible troubles me, we ought to get to the bottom of it. We ought to just get to the bottom of it, figure out why it's troubling us. Because as I said last week, sometimes the Bible's not going to make you happy. Sometimes the Bible is not going to give you the answer you're looking for. It's not going to pat you on the back. On the back. Sometimes it's going to be conviction. But I didn't understand it at the time. And for a period there, while I was going to Choice Hills, 1998, early 1999, I was, 
I was, I was troubled. I had conversations with Pastor Craig in his office about doubt. He would pray with me. I didn't know, you know, I had questions about whether I was saved or not. So anyway, it came 1999, it came to August, and it was time for our youth camp. Every year we would go to the Gateway Camp, Gateway Baptist Camp, out of a Gateway in Boiling Springs, which is where uh, Brother Burgess goes a, a lot of times because it's near him. And uh, they had a camp in Cleveland, which is just right up the road here. And uh, so I was able to go to that camp, but I had to work on the first day of the camp, which was the Monday. And so I was able to get off work on Tuesday. So the group, youth group went up early, and I went up, I went up at the proper time, and I went up a day late because I had to work that, that Monday. So I got up on Tuesday. And that night, you know, the, we had service that night on Tuesday, and it was, it was pretty pretty normal. Uh, there was nothing exceptional really about that service. Uh, but after the service, we went to our cabin and we were doing the evening devotions before we went to bed. And a man gave um, uh, one of the, the, the counselors in the cabin, I didn't know him, but he gave a testimony how that he had gotten saved in a, in a Wendy's parking lot. And he talked about how that he was a, a person who, who had been religious and he had gone to church and those kinds of things. And he had been, uh, he, but he had have been having some doubts about it. And so he finally got it settled in a Wendy's parking lot in his car. And when he gave that testimony, um, and again, this is, this is just how the Lord worked in me. I just remember, like, I remember sitting there and it was like the Lord was calling my name. I mean, I remember my heart pounding. I remember sweating. Not that it was, just, it was just a matter of God's conviction. It was like the Lord was putting his finger on me and saying, this is you. This is you. But of course, I hem hauled and I probably frustrated that man to death because he, said, he went through and he says, you know, is there any, you know, how they do in these teen camps? Is there anyone that's, that, you know, maybe the Lord's working in your heart and you're not sure if you're saved and, you know, he went through that, and I didn't raise my hand, didn't raise my hand, he went through it. And finally, the last time, he said, I just don't feel like I ought to close this invitation. Uh, is this, um, I'll go through it one more time. Is there anybody that's not sure that you're saved? And before he had said that, I said in my heart, if he goes through this one more time, I'm going to raise my hand. And he went through it one more time. And so I, and so I raised my hand, and, and like I said, the poor fella, he took me to the side in the cabin, and we talked. And <laughs> it's like pulling hair out, man. It was like uh, because I was confused. I was confused. It seemed clear three seconds ago, but now it's it's confused. It was just like a haze over my my in my in my brain. I didn't know where I stood with God. That's the bottom line. So eventually, because they were dealing with me, and maybe some other kids had responded in some way. Maybe it was just because of me. I don't really know. But we went into the, right adjacent to the cabin was the cafeteria. And we went into the cafeteria and we, um, uh, uh, the kids had gathered around. And, and I just, he was, the guy was trying to talk to me and it wasn't really getting anywhere. And, and so I just told him that I was going to go back to where the kitchen was. And I was going to just pray and, you know, ask the Lord to show me, you know, where I was. And so I went back to the kitchen and I, uh, I knelt down at a chair, and I just said simply, Lord, I, I don't know if I'm saved. Will you please show me if I'm saved or if I'm not? And all of a sudden, when I was praying that, 
all of a sudden, the haze just cleared in my mind, and it became perfectly clear, just clear as ever. And the answer was not a good answer. (laughs) It became perfectly clear that I was not born again. And at that moment, once I realized that, you know, the Bible says, of course, I knew the gospel. I knew the gospel. I had known the gospel for many years at that point. I knew that Christ died for me. I knew he was the only Savior. I knew that he had risen from the dead. I knew that he could save. I knew that, you know, we we were saved by faith. That wasn't the issue at all. That wasn't the issue at all. But in that moment, uh, the gospel is... I realized that I, that I was without Christ and that, as the Scripture says, I was without God and without hope in the world. And so I called upon Jesus to save me. Very simple, no, no prayer to repeat or anything like that. It was just me and the Lord, and I asked the Lord to save me. And I came out, and I didn't realize it, but while I was in there praying and trying to get some clarity that whole group of teenagers had already knelt down and were praying for me. And when I came out, uh, I saw them kneeling, and I, and I basically, I just, I, I don't know why I said what I said. And honestly, I think the Spirit of God just talked, to be, to be honest with you. That's what I think happened, because I'd, I had not planned to say anything, and I came out, and just words started flying out of my mouth. And basically, I said, you know, I, you know I've been living a lie. That's what I said. And that night, several teenagers from our cabin got saved. And that, and that week, uh, I, think it was, I think it was around 40 teenagers made professions of faith. And it all started that night. And what was so interesting at that camp is that I, you know, before that night, they had quiet time. And I just found that to be the most unusual thing ever. I felt very out of place, very uncomfortable when they were having quiet time. And, uh, you know, it just didn't seem natural to me at all. And I, but the thing is, I had the prayer list and I read my Bible and all that. I, I did all that already. I did all that. But I found it very awkward and unusual. And then I got saved and all of a sudden I wanted that. And I went back to that cabin and I laid in the, I think I mentioned this the other week, and I laid in the bed, and, and I looked up, and even though I had prayed, even though I had gone to church and knew the gospel and all these things, I looked up at the ceiling, as just through the ceiling, like I was looking up to the Lord, and I said this. I actually said this, Lord, I don't know what to say. Because it was like the first time I had ever talked to God. And you know what? After that meeting was over, that camp was over, we came back to church, and I was sitting in that choir loft right there, although it looked different. This is a lot nicer, by the way, just saying. <laughs> and uh, in choir, uh, Pastor Craig was standing giving the announcements, and he looked back at me, and he said something, and I wasn't paying attention, and he had, but what he had said, I realized, is that was a Sunday. Remember, the Sunday after I had gotten saved, which was on a Wednesday at 1230 in the morning, that next Sunday, he, uh, I was baptized, but that was in the evening. But in the morning, he, uh, he looked back at me and he said, do you want to go? And I, and I, I was like, I had to pause a minute because I didn't know what he was talking about because I wasn't listening. And someone in our church, I don't know who it was, 
had offered to pay for me to go to Tabernacle Christian School for my senior year of high school. Little did they know what a profound effect that would have on my daily walk with God. Because I went and I, I said, I said, I'll go. And I went to school the next day because I think we had to, no, we, I'd went to school. Anyway, I'd went to school one day for some reason because I was a senior and, and I hated it. I mean, I hated it. I was totally out of place and I knew it. I was just, I knew I did not belong there. I felt like the only Christian in the school surrounded by heathen. That's the way I felt. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. That's the way I felt. At the, not at the Christian school, but at the public school. So I got my transcripts with the tabernacle, and, and uh, even before the first class is when I met my dear wife. She thought I was a sixth grader, not joking, even though I'm older than her. But it was through tabernacle that I learned to, I learned to walk with God. I learned to, and I met my wife, and I learned to endure persecution as though insignificant as it was in context. But I learned all of that. And you know what that was from? Choice Hills Baptist Church. The camp, Choice Hills Baptist Church. I was a kid, Choice Hills Baptist Church. As a missionary, Choice Hills Baptist Church. This church has had a profound effect upon my life. And it's not this church. You're just a bunch of stinking sinners. It's the Lord through you guys, right? And it was a different set of you guys than it is now. I understand that. But, but some things I, we'll look at a couple more verses. Some things I, I note is that, you know, it is possible for someone to know the gospel thoroughly and not know the Savior of the gospel and not know the power of the gospel. Look at 2 Timothy. We're almost finished. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Just keep that in mind when you talk to people that just because they say the right words does not mean they're converted. <laughs> just because people know the lingo means nothing. I knew the lingo. And the thing is, though, I was not even aware of where I stood with God. People can, people can be without God, and because they have a form of religion, they think they have God, and they don't. And they're totally unaware of it. And that's where I was. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 5. This is referring to the last days, but notice what it says of the people in the last days. It says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Form but no substance. Form, but no substance. That was me. That was me. I had the form of religion. I had the form of independent Baptist religion. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But the last thing I want us to see this from this is that... Even though I was already a very religious person and had the right religious beliefs, doctrinal beliefs and such, the life of an already religious person, even the life of an already religious person, changes when they meet God. And for me, the change was internal 
which produced external change. And that's true of everyone, really. But what I noticed is because I had the, the external checkboxes checked, the, the internal is what I noticed the most. What I did on the outside, I still went to church and all those kinds of things. That stayed the same. But the inside was way different. I remember my grandmother. If, you, if she comes here to visit, you ought to ask her. You won't embarrass me because I've heard the story and I'm not embarrassed about it. But there was one time at the, right, up, right in that probably year before I got saved that we were having an argument or something like that, at, I guess at her house, and I let some foul words fly out of my mouth. Because, I mean, I mean form without substance. And I let some foul language come out of my mouth, and my grandmother says she, she could quote it better than I can. She said, if that's what it means to be saved, then I don't want any part of it. That nice little old lady that comes in here, y'all see sometimes she said that to me. Can you believe that? Her nerve. Her nerve. She said that to me. You know what? After I got saved, remember, I was already I was religious at that time that I said that. And then after I got saved, even though I was still religious, she, my grandmother says, you totally changed. Did I change myself? Oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. <laughs> I woke <laughs> and the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. It was what God had done to even a religious person. You think of Paul the Apostle, who was at one time saw the Pharisee as religious as you get, and what a change was made even to a religious man. The gospel. The gospel does way more than religion could ever dream of doing. Way more. But what it does is it, may, it brings into sharp focus the contrast between religion and salvation. When you get saved, it makes religion look ugly. It makes you look ugly. And that's basically what I saw in my life. Religious but ugly. Form with no substance. So as we read in Psalm 66, verse number 16, I'll read it just to close. Come and hear all ye that fear God. And I will declare what he hath done for my soul. I hope you have a similar testimony that you can describe how, what God has done for your soul. Let's pray.